Last week we wrapped up uh, our series on the New Testament book of 1 John, and this week we're beginning something new that we're going to be looking at through the summer. We're going to be thinking about wisdom, thinking about wisdom and especially the wisdom of God as we look at some passages from the Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. And so when we think about wisdom, we often think about choosing what is best, that wisdom is being able to look at the options and to decide what is best. And so that's really where our focus is today. What is the best life? What is the good life? That if you were to ask people around the world, what is the good life? How would you define what a good life is? What would a blessed and happy life be? I'm sure we get lots of different answers. Maybe it's being independently wealthy, having so much money you have, never have to worry about it running out. You can buy or do whatever you want. Maybe it's having a loving family to be surrounded by with minimal drama. Maybe it's having meaningful work in your occupation that you feel like you're contributing, you're doing something important that people really need and value what you do. Or maybe it's just freedom, being able to do what you want, when you want, without people telling you otherwise. That's what teenagers want, or at least that's what I remember wanting as a teenager. That what is the good life? Well, the Psalms tell us what the good life is. And the Psalms begin in Psalm 1 with a description of the good life, and they describe it as a life that is lived according to the Word of God. A life that is lived according to the Word of God. So we're going to open up our Bibles to Psalm 1 as we hear the wisdom of God. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. That is the whole first psalm. Psalms is in the middle of the Bible. There's a whole lot of chapters there. And we're right at the very beginning, right after Job. Hear the word of the Lord. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us and revealed to us your truth, what we need to know about you and ourselves and the world. And we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to hear your word today, to be shaped and formed by your word, to put all our assumptions up against your word to be corrected by it. And I pray that you would use me in spite of my own weakness and sins and insufficiencies to bring forth your word in truth and in your spirit. So Lord, help us today and draw us close to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalm 1 here, we're thinking about the good life. What is this good life? Well, the good life is the life that is founded on the word of God and not the ways of the world. That there seem to be these two options. It is the word or the world. 
And so that's really how the good life is defined. And we'll look at that, and then we'll look at why is this good life so good? What makes living according to the word a good thing? And finally, why is that so important? So Psalm 1 really is kind of simple when it starts with what is the good life. It's blessed is the one who is not this, but is that. So the good life is not this, but it is that. And so we see here the good life boils down to where we get our guidance from, what we are shaped by, that what shapes who you are, how you think, what you value, and what you do. See, that's how the Bible defines the good life, that the good life does not come from what we possess, but what possesses us. What is shaping and forming us, who we are, our desires, our values, and our actions. And so those choices are the world or the word. Are you shaped by the world or by the word of God? That's what determines whether or not we have the good life. That Psalm 1 says that people who are shaped by the world are not blessed. But blessed is the person if their delight is in the law of the Lord And on his law, he or she meditates day and night. Now, the word there, law, is the word Torah, which may sound familiar to some of you. That the word Torah does not only include the commands of God, the thou shalt nots, but it includes everything in the first five books of Scripture. And so that means the word law here includes everything in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It includes the stories of how God relates to his people in Genesis and Exodus, as well as the commands in those books. So our meditation is not simply on the moral commands, do this, not that, but also on how God relates to his people. And as people in the New Testament time now, we see the Torah, the law, as not just those first five books, but the whole book, all of Scripture. And so the good life is being shaped By all of scripture. And that's in contrast to the world. And here in verse 1, the psalmist describes the world in three statements. Here they are. Blessed is he who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, but nor sits in the seat of scoffers. That verses 1 and 2 clearly show one path to blessedness, and that is by God's word. But there is great variety in the not good life. So you can walk in the counsel of the wicked, but there's plenty of counsels you can choose from among the wicked. You can stand in the way of sinners, but there's plenty of sins to choose from in that way. You can sit in the seat of scoffers, but there are plenty of seats available for you to take. See, usually we don't think of wickedness in this great variety. Our view of wickedness tends to be very narrow. We think of wickedness like the wicked, wist, wicked Witch of the West. Try saying that again. The Wicked Witch of the West from the Wizard of Oz. That she's wicked. She's got green skin. She's ugly. She rides a broom and she cackles maniacally. That that's wickedness in our minds. But wickedness is just another word for sin. It's not some special class of sin that's really super bad. It's Sin and any kind of sin. And there are plenty of sins that in our world and even in our own lives that we think are quite respectable. Sins that might even be appealing to us. 
See, sin is something that can sound logical to us. Sin is something that can seem desirous to us. It can seem like something that will make our lives better instead of worse. And we see that in this threefold description of the wicked person. See, the counsel of the wicked sounds logical to us because our minds are naturally distrustful of God's word. That all started in the Garden of Eden when Satan caused doubt to creep into Eve's mind, leading her to distrust and eventually disobey God's word. Eve thought she was doing the right thing. Satan's words seemed logical to her in the same way that the counsel of the wicked can seem logical to us. See, the counsel of the wicked can often be something like, look out for yourself first, or do what makes you happy. It seems really hard to argue with that kind of counsel. See, the counsel of the wicked is not the team of supervillains planning to take over the world. The counsel of the wicked often seems quite logical to us. The same goes for standing in the way of sinners, that often it's simply following our own desires. Jesus taught that sinful desires were not things on the outside of us, but things on the inside of us. And if we desire these things, well, clearly we think it's a good thing since we desire it. So they don't seem very evil to us. In fact, we think they're good things. Maybe these sinful desires are just to live a nice, peaceful life with nice, peaceful people and not need to think about God ever. Maybe it's the desire to find fulfillment in our work, in our love life, or in our family. Those things seem really hard to argue against. See, the way of sinners is not just the prodigal son running off and spending his money with prostitutes and drinking. The way of sinners can often seem quite respectable and appealing in our world. And the same goes for sitting in the seat of scoffers. See, sitting in the seat of scoffers is trying to seek the approval of people that we want to associate with, the in crowd, trying to get in that company, in that group of people that we think are important. And if we are in that group of people, if we are among those people, we've made it. Whether that's the best firm in downtown, whether that's the PTO, Whether that's some other organization or group of friends, whatever it is, we just want to be in that group to know we've made it. And once we're in that group, we like to know we feel good and can look down on those who are not in that group. See, when we hear about the seat of scoffers, we often think about Statler and Waldorf and the Muppets and just mocking and cackling and saying how bad everyone else is. And yet, the seat of scoffers is often the group we want to be a part of. It's often the group we too much want to be a part of. See, being shaped and guided by the world doesn't seem to be a bad thing because it fits with our inherent sinfulness. That the counsel of the wicked seems wise to us. That the way of the sinner seems desirable to us. And the seat of scoffers seems like a position of power and importance to us. And yet scripture says that this is not the good life. Instead of being shaped by the world, we need to be shaped by the word. So what does it look like to be shaped by the word? Well, let's hear what Psalm 1 says again and what it does not say. This good life does not come simply by reading the word of God. It does not come merely as a product of believing the word is true. Rather, Psalm 1 says, blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. Do we delight in God's word? 
Do we read God's word and hear what he has done for his people and do they make us want to praise God? Do we read it and does it bring us joy or is it just words on a page? See, when we read the commands of God, are we excited about how they reveal the holiness of our God? Is there delight when we see the word of God? But Psalm 1 doesn't just say that we should delight in the word. Rather, it says, blessed is the man who meditates on God's law day and night. Now, meditation seems foreign to a lot of us modern American Christians. When we think of meditation, we think about yoga or Buddhism, that that's often what we think about when it comes to meditation. But I think a lot of us have meditated in the biblical sense before. Because the idea of meditate in the Bible is the idea of muttering to yourself. And I bet a lot of us have muttered to ourselves before. That it's the idea of like asking for directions from somebody. I know that might be hard for some of us. Asking for directions. And then in your head, okay, we turn right here, we turn left here, we go straight, stop at this stop sign. It's running it over in your mind to process it. Maybe it's not asking for directions. Maybe it's swinging a golf club. Okay, if I need to hold it like this, pull it back, straighten the arm, and do this. Maybe it's shooting the shotgun at the clay chute. Hold it like this, look down there. Maybe it's crocheting. Maybe it is cooking and trying to get the recipe. All right, how many minutes do I need to do this? What do I need to do? Maybe it's exercising. I need to hold this like this and do this. That we're running it over in our minds what we need to do, that meditation is letting the words stick with us, chewing on them like gum, trying to get every last ounce of flavor out of them to think about what they mean, why they say that, what's the point of it, what would this look like in my life? So is that our practice, to continually return to the word of God Or after we finish our Bible readings, does the book close and it's out of our minds and we're done for the day? Or does it stick with us and does it go through our minds so that we can think about what God is speaking to us? That's what he's saying the good life is, this delight and meditation in the word of God. That's what he says is the path to blessedness. But why? Why is this the path to blessedness as opposed to other things? Why can't we go and do other things? What's so great about the word of God? Well, here he tells us. Verses 3 and 4 give us the value of the good life, and it does so in this picture of nature. Here's what he writes. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So the man who is blessed is like a tree. And this tree has it all together. It is a nice-looking tree. One commentator points out all these benefits in the trees, that it has stability, that it is planted so it is stable. It has vitality being planted by streams of water, a constant source of life. It has productivity. It is bearing fruit in its season. It has durability, that its leaf does not wither. And ultimately, it has prosperity, which fits for around here that in all that it does, it prospers. That that's what it looks like when we are shaped and formed by the word of God instead of the ways of the world. See, knowing we have this solid, unchanging foundation gives us stability. That when we are planted in God's word, we are not moving with the counsel of the wicked. We're not changing with the desires of the world. Rather, we have solid roots. 
See, the weird thing about the Bible is the Bible did not need a second printing. There was no revised edition of the Bible. There are different translations because, well, we don't speak like Shakespeare anymore. And we all don't know Latin anymore, so we need to update the language. But there is no second edition of the Bible where the author had to come back and say, you know what, that was a little harsh. Take that out. And edit it and add some of the nuances that we wanted in the Bible. The Bible didn't need a second edition because God's word stands forever. And if it stands forever, then we have stability that our roots can dig in there and know that it is a stable place. And then meditating on God's word gives us vitality, knowing that there's always more to learn from the word, and it strengthens us for daily life. I love the visual the psalmist gives us of streams of water. See, it's not just that the tree is next to water, because you can be next to stagnant water. Stagnant water with the green on top. Stagnant water where like you see something bubble and you're not sure if it's toxic or if that was a fish trying to survive. But this is streams of water. So that we are next to this vital source of life. What's great about streams is though you always have access to water, it's always fresh, new water flowing in. And so in the same way, when we are meditating on the word of God, we have a stable supply of life-giving word. And yet there is an ever-freshness about it. That believers in their lives can study and read the word and meditate on it. And each and every day, until very old age, can say, Huh, I'd never thought of that before. That was really helpful today. That it is a lifelong source of life. And as we absorb the nutrients from God's word, we are able to bear fruit in obeying the commands. See, by soaking up the word, God starts to change us in our desires so that we want to obey these laws, so that we want to delight in his word. And we start bearing fruit. Those fruit our New Testament reading described as the fruit of the Spirit. And bearing fruit takes time. Those first few years the tree is planted, the fruit isn't popping out. It needs time to grow, time to mature, time to really soak up the nutrients And in the same way, the fruit of the Spirit takes time to grow in us. Many of us get frustrated at ourselves or others, like, why aren't they more Christian? Why am I not more Christian? Fruit takes time to grow. And yet with stable roots and the life of the streams of water, fruit will grow. And that stable source of life ensures durability for the difficult seasons when our leaves could wither. See, the weather's always in danger of changing. It's not 90 degrees out there like it was on Tuesday. The weather changes. It rains, it doesn't rain. Friday, we weren't sure about the clay chute. It poured, it stopped. It poured, it stopped. It poured, it stopped. The weather changes. And the trees have to be able to weather the storm. A drought could hit. Cold could linger. Winds can blow. And yet this tree, this Christian described as digging in to the word does not have leaves that wither and so in all that it does it prospers doesn't mean there's not going to be bad days hard days setbacks prunings and but the ultimate goal the ultimate end point of that tree is prosperity this is contrasted with the description of the wicked that is far shorter the wicked 
are like chaff. Chaff is dead. Chaff is useless. Chaff is lifeless. It is unrooted. It produces no fruit. Though it's often what you see on the outside of the plant, you discard it. You get rid of the chaff. See, when we follow the ways of the world instead of the way of the word, we end up dead inside and lifeless. See, it talked about the great variety of the ways of the wicked, and yet the description here is singular. That all the variety of manifestations of sin all lead to this one description, chaff, that will be blown away in the wind. But as we look at the world around us, as we look at the world around us today, we look and see people who aren't living according to the word, who have not, don't want anything to do with the word of God, and they seem happy. They seem like they're living the good life. And so we look at Psalm 1 and we're like, well, this is bogus. They're doing all the stuff they want to do and having a great time. That doesn't look like chaff at all. But what the rest of the psalm teaches us is that chaff reveals its true nature when the wind blows. See, the important question to ask is, why does this good life matter? And we see that answer in verses 4 to 6, that the good life matters because it gives us stability in life in difficult times. That the wind blows the chaff away, but the leaves of the righteous do not wither. They are fed by strong roots with water. See, these pictures of natural phenomena remind us that difficult times are going to come. That tragedy may strike. We may lose our jobs. We may receive a horrible diagnosis from the doctor. We may have a relationship that fractures. Someone we love may die. We may make a terrible mistake that has grave consequences. And in those times, we need a someplace firm to stand. We need a good life that can handle those ungood experiences. See, many people often turn to religion in those times of great difficulty, but it is those plants that have been rooted in the word of God that are ready to weather the storm. Those plants that have been delighting and meditating in the word of God are best prepared when the winds blow. It doesn't mean the trees won't bend and shake. Trees are not protected by a bubble from the wind. They just have the strength to weather the storm. And as violent as those winds are in this life, they foretell a great wind that is to come. Verses 5 through 6 say this, that therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. These verses speak of judgment of a great day of judgment of God, that the Lord of heaven and earth will judge everyone and everything according to his righteousness. And here in Psalm 1, we are told who will stand and who will not stand in that judgment. The people who have been shaped by the ways of the world will not stand, that they will be judged for their sin, and that judgment is death, that they will perish Like chaff, they will be blown away in the judgment. And this is not merely a physical death, for all people die, but a spiritual death. This psalm is saying that a great storm is coming. 
And the only hope of weathering that storm is to be found in the congregation of the righteous with roots deep down in the word of God. Are we shaped by what the word of God has to say about us? That we are created by God and yet we've sinned against him. Are we shaped by the truth of scripture that says that there is a just punishment for sin against the holy God? And yet if we're shaped by that, we start to lose our delight. How can we delight in the truths that say a judgment is coming? How can we meditate on the word of God that condemns us for our sin without despairing? How can we read God's word and not think to ourselves, how am I not in the congregation of the wicked for my sin? See, Scripture clearly condemns us of our sin and says that we are not worthy of the congregation of the righteous, but God's word says more. For we meditate and delight not only in the law, but in the whole word. And in God's word, we hear of the grace and faithfulness especially available in Jesus Christ. So do you hear God's word that says there is nothing we can do to save ourselves from this judgment except trust in the very God who brings the storm? For in that storm, there's safety in Jesus, that our roots can dig into him. See, it's similar to how Noah found safety in the ark, that we flee to Jesus knowing that the storm is coming, and only he can save us. That though we are sinners, we can stand in the congregation of the righteous because of him. That we aren't saved by our own righteousness, we are saved by his righteousness. So when we hear this good news from God's word, we can delight in his word. We can delight not just in the law, but in all of scripture, that there is a savior. That though we have rebelled and sinned against a holy God, there is a savior in Jesus Christ. And we can delight in the hope of the glory of God. We can meditate on the word, letting it hurt us, saying that we have sinned, knowing that there is forgiveness in sins promise in the word. We can consider God's word. We can think about it. We can draw life from it and let it bear the fruit of the spirit in our lives. And we can trust that planting our roots in the word and in Jesus Christ, the hope of the word, that we can stand the ultimate storm. Not because we are good. Not because that storm won't be so bad but because we have hope in Jesus Christ who is able to calm the storm, to take the storm for us, and to help us stand in the congregation of the righteous at his invitation by his grace. So may we delight in the word of God and may we meditate on it day and night knowing it teaches us the wonders of our God and the salvation in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us your word and we ask that you would please plant us deep. May we draw life from your word, from your laws, from your commands, from the whole scripture that teaches us of our need of you and your grace. Lord, strengthen us and help us to bear fruit and we pray, Lord, that you would help us to share the good news of the word that though a great storm of judgment is coming, that there is hope in Jesus, and may we take refuge in him to hold fast to him for when the winds blow. In Jesus' name.
Amen.